0: Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. God's Word is our authority. We have... 5,000 manuscripts in the Greek that we've been able to compare and contrast to come back to what we believe were in the originals. And we have God's word in the book of Psalms that he preserves his word from generation to generation. So his word is our authority. Now, this last week I had uh, released a short on Instagram and it took off and had like 13,000 views. Uh, It was about whether or not Christians and uh, Mormons love the same Jesus. It goes back to uh, the chosen, the creator of the chosen, Dallas Jenkins, saying that he believed that Christians and Mormons believed in the same Jesus. On the, the comment section, we had several people who said, Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. I don't know if these were Mormons, I don't know if they were just just people that didn't understand, but it made me realize there's a lack of understanding about Jesus being the Son of God and being God. So I want to cover that today, but I want to do this first of all, this is the first time we tried this, so I want to do this first of all by playing this particular uh, short for you so you can hear it. So we're going to play it first, and then I want to talk about Jesus being God. Uh, You guys can let me know if you can hear it. I assume that the sound is up. So I'm going to go ahead and play this short now. A creator of a well-known TV series on the life of Jesus said that Mormons and Christians love the same Jesus. But is that really true? In Christianity, Jesus created all things. In Mormonism, he is created. In Christianity. He has always been God. In Mormonism, he has progressed to be God. In Christianity, he is the creator of Satan. In Mormonism, he is the brother of Satan. He was a spirit baby along with all the other spirit babies. And Jesus and Satan were two of the most achieved spirit babies of all times. These are obviously not the same Jesus. Nor can we say that we are worshipping the same Christ as the Mormons. A creator. Alright, so you got it there, so it's just basically kind of quickly going over the differences between Mormonism and Christianity, the Jesus of Mormonism, and the Jesus in Christianity. Um, but what, what did strike me was how many comments said, Jesus is Son of God, not God. Now, I'd gotten this early on from one of, my, one of my relatives, one of my in-laws, who was a part of the Church of Christ, and they said to me, Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. And it made me realize that they didn't have a good understanding about what the Bible says about whether or not Jesus is God or the Son of God. Or if he's the Son of God, who is God as well as the Bible says. Now, there are three Old Testament passages which are absolutely fantastic in helping us to understand that the Son of God is God. But I want to read you out of Hebrews first of all. And this tells us that Jesus clearly is God. This is this is Hebrews 1, 5 through 9. And Hebrews 1 is talking about the preeminence of Christ over the angels. And so it says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So that is, the pre-existent Jesus is going to be begotten as the Son of God. And again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So the angels are going to worship the firstborn. And the firstborn there is the right of the firstborn, meaning he inherits everything. He was not, as the Jehovah Witnesses say, created first and then created everything else. In fact, the Bible tells us that everything that has been created was created with him, and without him there was nothing that was created. Now, it goes on to say, um, here in Hebrews 1, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels, spirits, and his minister- ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, now listen to this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. To the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's God telling the Son that He is God. It goes on to say, a scepter of righteousness and a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. And this is Psalms He's quoting, God, your God, has anointed you. God calls Jesus God. And it says with an oil of gladness. Now, he's anointed you mean he's made you the Christ because the term Christ is to be the anointed. Now, let me read you a couple other passages in the Old Testament that help us to understand that the Son of God is God. In fact, Psalms 2, I want to read you uh, the entire chapter. In fact, let me go ahead and get this up on the screen for you so you can see it uh, while we're making our way through here. I just got to pull my Bible up here. So in in Psalms 2, and I'm going to read all 12 verses here, even though it's a little bit lengthy. But it's so worth it, especially when you guys can see it. Because you can see here that the Son of God is preeminent in Psalms 2. And He's also the Anointed One in Psalms 2. Which really helps us again to understand that this is not... That the Trinity... No one came up with the Trinity in just in New Testament times. It, the Old Testament clearly teaches the complexity of God and clearly teaches, uh, in, in places clearly teaches the Trinity, but certainly teaches the Father and the Son, as we're going to see here in Psalms chapter 2. So let me go ahead and bring this up for you, and we'll read it together. All right. And uh, So here it says, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot vain things? We know that this is at the end of time. We know that this is when Jesus is going to be, be judging the world. He says, the kings of the earth have set themselves against the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, there it is, the anointed again. That's the Christ saying, let us break the bonds in pieces and cast away the cord from us. Which he he who is he who sits in the heaven shall laugh the Lord. So this is God laughing. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on the holy mountain of Zion. That's Jesus being set on Zion. I will, and this is Psalms 2, I will dec- de- declare a decree. The Lord has said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is the Old Testament. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So this anointed one, this son who has been begotten, is going to receive the nations as, in his, as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron. We know that's Jesus during the millennium period. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Instruct your judges of the earth. Serve the Lord, fear him, and rejoice and tremble kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. You've got to make things right between you and the son who is begotten by God. And then it says, when his wrath is kindled just a little bit, that's the tribulation period, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Who? The begotten son. That's Psalms 2. Now it says, to, to believe in Christ is to trust him. It's not just to believe He exists, but it's to trust in Him. So blessed are all those who put their trust in Him is the gospel in the Old Testament, which is something that's absolutely amazing. Now there's another passage uh, that we find, and we know it really well. This is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So a child is going to be born, is going to, a son's going to be given to us. And he will be called, and the government will be on his shoulders. Again, we see him ruling and reigning. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the throne uh, of David and over this kingdom to order and establish the judgment and justice for that time. Forward, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So a child's gonna be born who's gonna be called Everlasting. Uh, everlasting Father and mighty God. And so we see again these two powers in heaven taught clearly in the Old Testament. A child is going to be born who's going to be everlasting Father and mighty God. And that's Isaiah nine six. Now let me read you one more, and I'll go ahead and pull this one up for you as well, because I want you to be able to see this one. This is Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has seen a vision of Different um, of different beasts that are coming up. And in the middle of that, he sees the Ancient of Days and thrones being set up. And then we read this. Then we read... "...I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair and head was light like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, the wheels a burning fire, fiery stream issued, and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood by him. The court was seated. The books were opened." And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words of the horn that was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and the body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. So that's the, the beast, the Antichrist. And, um, and th- their dominion was taken away and their lives were prolonged in the season. I watched in the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. Now, the Son of Man simply means human. I, one like the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then he was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This human that comes to the Ancient of Days is given an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." amazing passages that tell us that Jesus is pre-existent. We could also go to Micah 5 two. You, O Bethlehem, though you are small, among the nations of Eupathroth, out of you will come one who will rule my people. His days are from everlasting. These are four Old Testament passages that tell us of someone who will be incarnate, who will be human, who will also be God. And so you see that this idea of God and Jewish scholars We'll, we'll talk about two powers that are in heaven, maybe even three, because you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the angel of the Lord, or you've got the Son of God, and then you've got God himself. And so the idea of the Trinity was not made up in the New Testament, but found in the Old Testament. And I think these are some of the verses that Paul went to that he might be able to prove um, what, were, what the Old Testament said. So, yeah, in Mormonism, Jesus is created and born as a spirit baby to Mother Earth or to um, um the heaven the the mother in heaven in Jehovah's Witnesses Jesus is created first and creates everything else but in Christianity he is the King of kings and the Lord of Lords it is the Trinity God the Father the Son the Holy Spirit all three being one in essence but three uh, eight, 3 in 1, which is clearly taught, not only in the New Testament, but clearly taught, uh, not only yeah not only New Testament, but clearly taught in the Old Testament as well. Alright, so um, hopefully that is helpful and um, we can get some Christians to stop saying that Jesus is the Son of God and not God. Uh, it is so clear and I just barely began to scratch the surface of how clear it is. That Jesus is God, and the kicker is Hebrews, where God says, "You are my son. Today I have begotten you. God, your God has anointed you." He calls him the Son of God. Is called God in Hebrews chapter one. So that's the one that we go we go to. All right. So good to see you guys here joining us. Um, We have a question uh, from Psychman. We'll start there. Psychman, good to see you. Are you back in town? Psychman says a friend from Romania, name is Anne, says hi. Um, If uh, you want, uh, message me asking why God wanted to kill Moses. Not exactly sure. Not circumcising his son. What that um, was that it? Can you help with this please? Um, Yeah, I think I can, Psychman. It's been a while since I've been in the book of Exodus, but you remember that his wife, who was a Midianite, was upset that Moses wanted to circumcise them. And circumcision had been given to Abraham. And here's Moses, the giver of the law, not willing to do the very thing that is the covenant for the law, which is circumcision, because of his wife. And so this, there's so much application with this because sometimes when you're married, your spouse might not like what you're doing as a Christian. But we, want, we need to please God. And so God stood in the way and was going to kill Moses. And so she took a stone, circumcised them, and said, you're a bloody husband to me. So she was not happy. And I think at that point, if I remember correctly, she turned back and didn't go with him anymore. And so she was not on board with what Moses w- was, was doing and with um, the circumcising. But you can see, Psych-Man, how Moses was the one given the law and needed to uphold circumcision. Now, the crazy thing is they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then are not circumcised. Before they can enter into the land, the next generation has to be circumcised. So there's some other um, kind of craziness that ends up happening there as well. All right, so thank you, Psych Man. Uh, there may be a little bit more to it, like I said. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been in Exodus and really looked over that. Uh, we have a, a question from Joe. Joe says, Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 18 very basically talk about God providing a prophet to come. Yes, which is believed to be referring to Jesus. Yes. When reading this struck my curiosity, if this is the case, why didn't he just say it was going to be um, his son to let everyone know? Well, there's mystery in in the scriptures, Joe. And you've got to, you, you're discovering them as you're diving in. I'm, I for one am glad that not every passage in the Bible is clearly seen. That you have to dive in and really go into it and once you begin to see it, it becomes incredibly powerful. Because you see, yeah, that's definitely the fulfillment of that. But if everything were laid out for us and we didn't have any discovery, we're, we're, we're to read God's word. Regularly, the Bible talks about meditating on God's word day and night. The more we learn of it, the more we know. God has in it so much depth. It's not going to contradict, so don't look for death that contradicts. But there's so much that's there. And um, let me go ahead and bring this up on the screen and let's read this. Um, so this is the passage that Joe was telling us about. The Lord your God will rise up for you, a prophet like me. So Moses gave them the law, a covenant. Jesus is going to give A covenant. Uh, Moses was a deliverer, Jesus is going to be a deliverer. So he's going to be like Moses. He says, From your brethren, so he'll come up out of Israel, "you um, you shall hear according to all your desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will rise up for them a prophet like you. Now, God's telling Moses, I'm going to rise up a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. So, Jesus said, I only speak the things my father's given me to speak. And then, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And he says, I've been faithful. I've given you everything God commanded me to tell you. And it shall be whatever you will not um, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. This means this is not just a generic prophet. This is the Messiah. And if you do not follow after the Messiah, it's required of you. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved, Peter said. So, uh, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word of my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or to speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So, um, that's the the passage uh, that Joe was talking about. And Joe, I really believe, I'm I'm so glad that there is mystery. Also think about this, you're writing to a culture with Moses 3,500 years ago, 3,400 years ago, and a, a radically different culture. You've got all these different cultures since then. You've got the Bible in all these different languages and the way to say things so that people can see it. And also remember, Jesus didn't say things plainly because he wanted those who were going to seek him to find it, but those who weren't seeking diligently didn't find it. The Bible says God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so that means as you diligently seek him, you're going to find the truth. But for those who are casual seekers, God doesn't reveal himself to them. So a casual seeker wouldn't read that and go, huh, that must be talking about Jesus. Maybe he would, but when you're seeking God and you look at it, then you realize, you know, Hebrews tells you that Jesus was this prophet and all of a sudden you go, oh, I see it. And now God rewards those who are diligently seekers. Alright, um, Joe, we, um, right now we've got a one-question policy. I will go back to this one on on 2 um, uh, Samuel 2.24. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number. Yeah, uh, we'll come, um, why was it a sin for David to number them? We're, we're going to come back to that. If I don't get back to it, we'll use it as one of the first verses that we've got in one of our our other one. Or, Joe, next time you're on, you can ask the question again. But we do have a one-question policy, just because we haven't been getting through all of the questions So we want to be able to do that and not just have, you know, not just take one question from uh, questions from the same people, but allow some of the newcomers that are coming in to be able to ask questions as well. And by the way, if you're joining us, thank you for being here. If you want to ask a question, you can do that through the comment section. Write the word question in front of it. Write out your question. Reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, add any references, we can pull up the references and take a look at them here. You can ask questions about the Bible, about prophecy, about Christian living, um, about any of the studies that we've done recently at Calvary of Tucson. So, we have a question from Jari, and Jari says, question, when praying does it matter who I pray to, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Can I pray to all three? Does it really matter which one I pray since it's the Trinity, What does scripture say? Yeah, that's a really good question. And this has been something, a verse I've been wanting to look up for a while. So Jesus said, when you pray, um, pray to the Father. Let me just see if I can find this really quick. When you pray, pray to the Father, scripture. I'm just going to see if I can pull this up. Um, When you pray, pray to the Father. Father. I found Charles Stanley talking about it. Um, I can't find the exact reference. Is it John 17 3? Just let me look at let me look at John 17 3 really quick if that's it. If not, if, if one of you guys out there can find the reference where Jesus talks about praying to the Father. No, not on John, John 17 3. That John 17 3 is um, that you may know me and the one true God who we sent. Jari, I think. We should be praying to the Father and and asking the Father, because I think that's the context. I wish I had the verse in front of me where Jesus says, when you ask anything, ask the Father in my name. So we should be asking to the Father. That doesn't mean we couldn't say, "Um, I love you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful for all you're doing in my life. Um, That's not asking. So, I would really like to see, look at the passage again. And again, this has been something I've been wanting just on my own curiosity because I remember the passage and we have worship songs where we sing, you know, Holy Spirit, come into this place. And I'm like, are we violating in our worship songs what Jesus said when he said, pray and ask the Father in my name? When you pray, don't pray to me, but pray to my Father. So, if you guys find that passage um, then go ahead and take a look at it. Just let me try one more, one more thing here and I'll see if I can find it. When you pray, don't pray to me but pray to my Father, Scripture. I'm just doing one more search here. Yeah, same thing came up. Uh, but when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door. Okay, yeah. So if you guys can find that uh, just put the word follow up in there and then show this, give, give me the scriptures if you guys can find it. Alright, Jari? Um, and I appreciate that. So um, we have a question from um, Brandon. Brandon has a question from Romans uh, 14 14-23 uh, and 1 John 3.20 seems to contradict each other. Am I missing something? Okay, um, that's a long passage, Brandon. Um, let me just see if I can look see what Romans fourteen. I don't want to. I don't want to read all that now. I don't have time to be able to read it all. It we're only it's only an hour long Q and A, and so um, if you want to rewrite this as a follow up and put the basic things that contradicts that that contradicts with it. We'll do that. I'll just take a quick look at Romans 14 here and see if I can quickly figure out what that, what they seem, the contradiction seems to be. So, Romans 14, 14. All right, let me just take a look at this really quick. The law of love. I know that I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself, but he who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, Um, and you are no longer walking in love, do not destroy with your food the one who who Christ died for. Therefore, do not let what is good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God. So yeah, I'd have to spend some time uh, breaking down this passage. uh, And then first, so it's it's, just talking about the things that are in the gray area. 1 John 3.20, let me go there. Things that are in a gray area and that I, I want to make sure that I'm not causing someone else to stumble for, for the sake of what am I my liberties. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. All right, so let me just take a stab at this, Brandon, if I can. And um, that is that we're talking about things that are in a gray area. And if my heart convicts, convicts me, and tells me it's sin, then I shouldn't do it. Because I'm living by faith. And so if someone says, you know what, I don't go to movies. I don't go to, because I don't think they're right. I think they're worldly, I think they're ungodly. I think they're full of ungodly stuff. I think they're glorifying ungodly things. So I don't go to movies. And another person says, well I I go to movies. it's, It's not affecting me spiritually. My walk with Christ doesn't change any. So I feel it's okay to go to movies. And so the person that feels that it's okay to go to movies is free to go. But you also don't want to cause a brother to stumble caring for your brother. So you might be careful as to how you would do that. So I'm just going to kind of take a stab at that. I I might look at this a little bit later on. Um, But if you can give me, uh, if you want to do a follow through, Brandon, and give me a little bit more um, just exactly as to what you're seeing contradicts it then I would appreciate that, all right? And that way we don't have to read just a huge long section, okay? So, Russell, uh, good to see you. We have a question. Russell says, What do you believe the the spirits in prison mentioned in Peter 3.19 and 20 are? Okay, yeah, let me go ahead and pull up something here for you if I can find it quick enough. Yep. All right. So, um, let's go to the, uh, Peter, 1 Peter 3.19. I'm going to put that up on the screen for you here. Okay. So, this is 1 Peter 3.19-20. It says, "...by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared." in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So it tells us some things in the text that will help us to determine who these are. By whom he also went and preached to spirits in prison. I take it this is Jesus, as he ascends down into this, um, he ascends and brings a, a host of captives out of captivity after he died on the cross. He didn't suffer in hell, but he delivered and he preached to the spirits who were there. They were formerly disobedient. When once divine long suffering waited during the days of Noah. What do we know about about angels being disobedient in the days of Noah? The only thing we have is when the sons of God looked at the daughters of men, saw that they were beautiful, and took them as wives, and the Nephilim were in the land in those days. That's Genesis 6, 1 through 4. So I believe that these, these spirits did not keep their proper dominion. Look at another passage that Peter gives us. Uh, this is 2 Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare angels who sinned but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness being reserved for judgment and then Jude 1.6 and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for judgment to this day. So they didn't keep their proper abode. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that Angels took on the form of man. We know that angels can present themselves as people, so much so that some have entertained angels unaware. Is the body fully function, functional sexually? What, where did they marry women? This sounds weird, I know, it's strange, it's bizarre. But remember, there's a lot of things in the Bible that sound strange. Just because it sounds strange to us and it's bizarre in the day that we're living in, doesn't mean it didn't happen and i think a lot of times we make that mistake as far as i know there is no evidence that the sons of god were the descendants of of seth intermarrying with the descendants of cain that's an idea that came up later on because this sounds so bizarre could it be that demons possessed men and somehow genetically changed the 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 the, the you know conception process so that the Nephilim roamed the earth in those days. But these are the spirits, and, and it also tells us that spirits are are bound. They can only do so many things. They can't do just anything because they will be thrown into prison if they do. And um, so that's what I believe that those spirits were. Um, Russell, is uh, I believe that they were the demonic spirits. Now, I got good friends, close friends. We agree on so many things, but we don't agree on this. Um, they believe it's, it's Seth and Cain and I still don't have a good, what why? What, what, what's, the, what's the prohibition? Where did it say that the sons of Seth couldn't intermarry with the line of Cain? Where did it say that, that the, the Messiah had to come from Seth? And, um, you know, just again, you know, what, what is the prohibition on it? And I'm, I'm open, hey, you know, as always, I mean, things like this that are controversial, I'm open. If I'm wrong, I would love to find out the information and and receive it. All right. So uh, we have a question from Paul. Paul, good to see you. Good to have you here. Paul says Question Is there any chance Samson made it into heaven? And was his suicide assisted by God or just answering his request? Um, It seems that his strength came back when his hair grew back. And. He was taken out the Philistines as a... He was blinded as a a last spot. Um, I'm not sure that I see Samson as one of the people in the Bible committing suicide. Although, we do have, you know, people who kill people by committing suicide. So, um, today... um, I see Samson's kind of being redeemed there by God and he he could have been used by God in great ways. Your question here, does Samson go to make it into heaven? Yeah, I think he does. Surprisingly, shockingly. Which will tell you, you know, people make a lot of guidelines for how you've got to live to be able to get into heaven. But the bottom line is, Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. This is required of you to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And we have repentance. So even if you don't walk that way and you turn and you have that in your heart when you die, then you go to Christ. There are a lot of people that want to draw lines and make their own ideas as how you get into heaven. I prefer to look at the strict biblical way. And um, Samson is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, so I would put him in, I would put him in that. Um, Okay, so, uh, okay, thank you Paul, I appreciate that, did I get your other one answered? Um, Yeah, the suicide one, I, yeah, I I think strictly speaking it was a suicide, right? Uh, But he was killing the Philistines, um, but he was also imprisoned, and so being in prison, receiving his strength again, being able to take out a bunch of the Philistines, which is what he was called to do as a judge. Um, maybe, maybe not technically. Maybe technically, but but, not like a suicide of someone who just goes out and takes their lives, like Judas. I, I see a big difference between those two. I just don't know what categories to put them in. So Psychman Man found that verse for us. Thank you, Psychman. Man. For finding that. So, this is John 16, 23. So, we were asked about praying in the name of Jesus or can we pray to the Father or the, the Son. So, let's go to John 16 and it's verse 23 and I'm going to put up on the screen for you. Uh, it says, uh, let's just go back a couple of verses here and see if we can get our bearings. Um, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because of her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth, she no longer remembers anguish for the joy of the human being has been born of the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and you will have joy and will um, and no one will take it from you. So he, he's comparing him, leaving them. To a woman that's in childbearing, having sorrow, and when they see Jesus again, they're going to rejoice, just like the woman receives the baby and rejoices. Then verse 23. And in that day, so this is the day that Jesus is gone, "you you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let's see, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will not. All right, so, yeah, I'm looking at this verse. This is what I was thinking before, too. Um, And I I can't remember who had actually asked asked this question. Um, But uh, in that day, you will ask ask me nothing. And so, technically, I don't know that we're supposed to ask Jesus for anything. Most assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So we ask the Father in the name of Jesus. Um, this doesn't say anything about the Holy Spirit, which is why I was wanting to look it up. So when we sing a song that says, Holy Spirit come fill this place? Should we be saying, Father, have the Holy Spirit come fill this place in the name of Jesus? Or can we talk directly to the Holy Spirit And um, that's, I guess, something I'm going to have to do further study on. It's just something that's come into my mind as of recently. But yeah, when we pray, we pray to the Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, you will ask me nothing. So um, that might, that would mean that that maybe we need to change the way uh, that we are praying when we're praying to Jesus to do something instead of praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. So, thank you, um, Psych Man, for finding that. I appreciate that. Um, I sometimes pray to God and sometimes Jesus and sometimes the Holy Spirit. They are the same. Yeah, Paul McGuire says they're the same. And I think we kind of all feel that way. But we got to take Je- um, Jesus' words in John sixteen twenty three. And that day, you will ask, me, nothing. Most surely I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So, I think most Christians respond and react that way, Paul. But, um, I'm just looking at what the scriptures say, right? We want to look at these questions through the lens of scripture. And that's what the scripture says. And I, I'm more likely to ask the Father than the Son. It doesn't mean I couldn't have a conversation with Jesus. I love you. Uh, thank you for, for working in my life, you know. Does mean you can't have a conversation with the Holy Spirit? I don't think. I don't think there's anything forbidding that. But you're asking specifically to the Father. Rekhiah says, says uh, hello, Pastor. In, ver- in verse Ezekiel 39, 9, does the prophecy mean the Gog and Magog war could occur before the tribulation starts? or at the very beginning of it, especially with the reference to the seven years. Yeah, I would say that the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 39, because it takes them seven years to bury the weapons, or to bury the dead, and maybe burn the weapons for seven years, what does it say? Um, Before the tribulation restarts, especially with reference to the seven years. Let's just go there. Let's go take a look at this, uh, Um, And we'll see what the reference says. Remember, Jesus returns and the world is renewed. And the, there's a, the millennium. So if something happens in the tribulation period, you could technically mark off seven years because the sun is still going to be going around. There's going to be days and nights that will be taking place during the millennium period. Things will change after the millennium period completely, but this is a great section of scripture, by the way, that Rakhai is talking to us about. It's um, the it starts with the restoration of the Israel, the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, and then there's a war that seems to be brewing these days um, with Libya and Iran, and um, it, some say. Uh, Russia. Although others now are saying this is not a reference to Russia, it is areas from the north that attack Israel with a coalition, and um, may very well be. Um, but here, here's what it says. Let me show you. Uh, this is Ezekiel thirty-nine, thirty-nine. Um, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the buckles, the bows, the arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years. And they will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires of the weapons. Yeah, so that's just an interesting passage. And um, I see it, to answer your question, Rakiah. I see it happening right before Jesus, right before the tribulation period, right before um, we are taken out, before the tribulation period starts. So, um, in, you know, what's known as the rapture, which I don't like the term rapture. I like the term gathering or or the resurrection rapture because um, when Jesus comes back, it doesn't matter, and, and, and I still see today, I saw a video by a guy I like that was was like, there's no rapture, and he was talking why he didn't think there was a rapture. Um, and it was interesting to me because he said in church history, they didn't talk about it, only a few people. And he put up the few people who did talk about a pre-tribulation rapture in the early church. And the Bible says seal these things up until the time of the end. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off on the rapture. I'm not going to right now, not unless somebody asks Hello, Pastor. Okay, so um, the rest of your question, especially the reference to the seven years. Yes, so I see that as being happening, could happen any day. It could be the next thing on God's prophetic calendar or the the harpazo, the catching away of the saints and and the resurrection of the saints it could be the next thing on the calendar um, before the Antichrist is revealed. And the, the, the peace treaty is signed which, as far as I understand it, is the beginning of the tribulation period. All right, so we have a question from Kathy. Kathy, good to see you. I believe this is your first time here with us. Uh, Appreciate having you here. Kathy says, How does what you said fit with the verse that says, Not even the Son knows the day or the hour that he will return? Matthew 24, 26. Um, Yeah, I, I think that Jesus in his humanity, when Jesus was... Uh, when he was incarnate, right? God became flesh. His days are from everlasting. Micah five two. That he had to learn. The Bible tells us in Luke that he had to grow in wisdom and understanding, and so he had to learn. When he was a baby, he wasn't born with all the knowledge of God in the flesh. He had to learn, and there were things that he didn't know as a as being a hundred percent human that he didn't access on the on the hundred percent God side. And so he didn't know. And all of this was to tell us, stop setting dates, right? I mean, that's the point that's being made here, uh, Kathy, is stop setting dates. What are all these people setting dates for? And, and, and it's getting crazier now. There's all kinds of dates being set now that we're going to be coming to the 2,000 year mark of the crucifixion of Jesus sometime in the early 30s. And then you subtract seven years and we're coming on it and it's going to get out of hand here. And if I was unethical and wanted to get rich by writing a book, I could write a book and set a date. But I would be violating all the things, including no one knows the hour, not even the Son of Man. I think the Son of Man knows now. I believe in heaven now, he knows. Then he didn't know, and the angels don't know. I think he does, being God in glory. But I think the angels don't know. He said not even the Son of Man nor the angels know. So the angels don't even know the timing. Think of that. You got all these people saying they know the timing, and Jesus said the angels don't even know the timing. Now, that's pretty crazy. So, stop, stop setting dates. Stop setting the feast of the tabernacle. Stop saying, we don't know the day or the hour. Um, we know, but the two-day feast of the tabernacle. Stop stop saying that. The day or the hour is an idiom that they're using to say, you don't know when, when it's going to happen. Like Jesus said, uh, you don't know when the Son of Man um, is going to Return, and I mean, how many people have said dates? Nineteen forty-four. There was the great disappointment. Thank you, Kathy, for John sixteen twenty-three. I appreciate that. We found it. Um, so, um, yeah, I, um, yeah, just am amazed that people continue to do th- to do so. And um, thank you guys for finding um, that verse. We found another one. Therefore, you must always pray unto the Father in my name. He declares. um, Pray in the... uh, Where is that? I'm not sure where that's at, Cindy. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure uh, where that's at. Uh, We have a question from Kay. Kay Fox says, I heard the Sabbath will be kept in the millennium. Yeah, I think so. He said, Sabbath is for rest. Hence, Jesus rested. Sunday, he arose and got right to work. Just curious now, many um, layers the Sabbath is. Yeah, so so Jesus is our Sabbath now. So for you and I that are, okay, thank you for your question. For you and I that are now in the, um, in Christ he is he's fulfilled all the law to us. He's our high priest. He's our sacrifice. He's our Sabbath. He's everything. So we don't keep Sabbath the way that they did. Um, we're not under the law anymore, so we don't need to keep it. And even the so-called Sabbath keepers that are out there, uh, they don't keep it the way the Bible says to keep it. So they are teaching the traditions of men as if they were the commands of God, which Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees of their day for doing so. Now, when Jesus returns and... And gathers the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth. Uh, Matthew 24, I think it's 29 through 31. Um, Jimmy Evans says that that's a second rapture. I don't know if I'd call it a second rapture or just a gathering to the earth, because a rapture is being caught up in the air. Here, they are the angels go out and gather the Jews that have made it and saved and, and are safe, and brings them back to Christ in Jerusalem. And the kingdom is established and all the promises are kept to the Jewish people by Jesus reigning over the living Jewish people that made it through the tribulation period, some of them supernaturally. Um, and they re sacrifices in the temple, I think as a memorial. And they keep the Sabbath during that time. Um, but it's not you and me and we will not be doing that. This is for the people who are Jewish who are gonna be reestablished in the kingdom and the Messiah's gonna rule and reign over them during the millennium period, okay? So, um, if that doesn't answer your question, um, okay, let me just read this here again. Um, I heard that the Sabbath is not kept of the millennium, Sabbath is rest, hence Jesus rested. Sunday he rose from the dead and got right to work. Yeah, Saturday he was in the grave, right? Just curious how um, many layers the Sabbath is. Yeah, the Sabbath is not for us, okay? It's for the Jewish people, and the Jewish people right now are no longer under the law. They're with us. They're part of the church. Even if they want to call themselves Messianic um, Jews, they're still part of the church. And, uh, but one day Jesus will rule and reign over Jews who receive him as a Messiah for a thousand years in the millennium period. That's what we believe, anyway. That's what I believe, and I think most most here do. Uh, we have a question from Jim. And Jim says, um, "You mentioned Deuteronomy eighteen twenty earlier. So why do you think God hasn't done this with the modern day people that claim to be prophets of God and are clearly not speaking for God?" Yeah, I am. Um, I'm right there with you, Jim. Um, so something seems to have changed. Um, in the giving of the Holy Spirit, we have the gift of prophecy. So now people prophesy and the others judge. No lo- In the Old Testament, if someone spoke for God and they said, God thus says the Lord, they were taken out and killed. But we're no longer under that covenant, so we don't do that. But today we're told if someone prophesies, you judge it and let one prophesy and let that rest judge. And when someone prophesies, um, I've said, well, well I'm going to judge that. Or if it happened in a church service, which it has happened at our church, then I said, well, let's go ahead and judge. That was a prophecy. The Bible says don't despise prophecy, but judge it. So that was under the law. We are no longer under the law. And if you want more information, Jim, on how we're not under the law, then read Galatians. You can read it in about, I don't know, 30 minutes, And it's going to clearly tell you that if you are under the law, then Christ died in vain. We have been set free from the law. Jesus fulfilled all of the law for us so that we are not under it anymore. And that's why we don't kill people that give false prophecies. Um, A lot of people give false prophecies today. And, I mean, to me, when you speak for God, you got to be really careful. I take it with such fear that I want to I represent God correctly when I'm speaking for God. I don't want to speak on my own or of my own accord, but I want to speak for Him. Um, yeah, so Kay has a second question here. So, Kay, same thing. Um, we're taking one question just per person because um, we've had so many questions. That when we start taking two questions, um, so we'll answer that question. Again, That that's a good one for the beginning of uh, of it. And I'll just put it in here. I'm not necessarily going to answer it now. Um, I put on Discord. Oh, that's not it. That's not what you would. That wasn't your question. What was your question? Um, did you have another question, Kay? I thought so. Maybe I missed it. Let me just go back up here and look. Yeah, maybe I just was confused. No, there it is. An elderly gentleman. Okay, so an elderly gentleman on YouTube says, the truth about salvation is that once you lose it, Jesus will not offer it to you a second time. Yeah, I will definitely answer that. Okay, so you can ask it again, or it, that may very well be, that'd be a great question for the beginning of our next uh Our next session, all right? But we are just taking one question now. But I do look back through this. I get the log, and I look back through it so I can use it for questions. First questions for our Q and A's. So we have a question from Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, Bucket says, "Our bucket. um, In your video, you said in Christianity, Jesus created Satan. Didn't God create Lucifer?" Ezekiel 28, about verse 11, or Isaiah 14, right? It's Isaiah 14, 12. Well, he's called Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12. And it was Adam and Eve that created Satan at the fall. No, Jeffrey, I'm not sure where you're getting that from. Um, I've never heard this suggestion before. I I wouldn't be surprised if there's somebody that's taught it because there's so many bizarre teachings about the fall that are out there, um, but no. Um, if we were to take time to go back and you look at Ezekiel twenty-eight and and Isaiah fourteen, which are two two kings, but as you read it, it becomes obvious he's talking about Satan. So it's a prophecy that has this, and I don't know exactly what what category to put it in. If there's a double meaning in it or what there there there's a category for the prophecies, but um, it says. God, God clearly created him, and he was one of the higher angels. And no, Adam and Eve did not create him. So I don't know. It sounds to me like a faith movement, the you know kind of like a false teaching of the faith movement. when they're trying to take things and they're trying to find something new in it, it's definitely not true. Um, God created, and I'm you know I'm going to show you why that wouldn't that wouldn't be true. If I could if I can find this fast enough here, I want to show you, um, Jeffrey, and I think it's Colossians one. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, Fifteen maybe. Let me see if th- let me see if this is. It. I'm going to pull this up for you, and this is Jesus is speaking of. Okay, so it says, um, he is the express image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Not the first one created, the firstborn as in having the right of inheritance. For in him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. So, if Satan's in heaven or on earth, doesn't matter, he's created. Things visible or invisible. Things visible are here, he created, invisible. created. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, these are spiritual powers, have all been created by Jesus. All things were created through him, for him, he, uh, and he is before all things, which means that, that he was not created before all things, he is before all things. He's always existed and in him all things consist and he is the head of the body of the church. Okay? So he created all principalities, powers, and, and dominions. Uh, this, is, this is an early Christian creed and um, so that'll tell you wherever you got that, that teaching from, it's a false teaching, that Adam and Eve didn't create Satan, that all of it was created by him, all right? Uh, We have a question from Angela. Angela says, um, should Christians... let me do this. Let me get out of that and into this and then go ahead and bring your question up, Angela. All right. So Angela says, should Christians listen to heavy, dark metal music? I recently found a lot of questionable music lists on my husband's YouTube account, mainly from the band Disturbed. Well, that's disturbing. Yeah, I don't have my my, my sound buttons. Well let's see. That's disturbing. Um, so We don't want to make hard, fast rules, but we want things that edify us and not things that don't edify us. And so, I would... I would just talk to your husband and find out what, you know, why he likes the band, what is the band, what what is the music about, should Christians listen to heavy, dark metal music? And I'm just gonna speak my ignorance. I don't know what's in heavy, dark metal music. I certainly would know there would be certain rap music that shouldn't be listened to. And, hey, um, I heard a song by Ed Sheeran that was was cursing God and, and using vulgar language that I would say we shouldn't listen to either. So, um, I'm not sure what's in it. Um, and um, if I if I think about it, I'll check out Disturbed. Um, but I would just you know, just talk to your husband about you know what he likes about it and what kind of things is it? you know, what kind of music is it? Uh, I don't think it's wrong to listen to secular music and some people are gonna be able, to not be, some people are gonna immediately be triggered back into maybe their old lifestyle. Some people can't listen to it, and and, and some people can. So we're talking about the freedoms that we have again and, uh, an indi- and how an individual might respond to it. And I'm kind of talking here because I don't know the band Disturbed, never heard of them. I don't know the kind of music they play. I don't know what it is, so I'm um, sorry. Angela, I think, um, probably is questionable, right? You said questionable music. So, um, yeah, maybe talk to your husband about it. And um, sorry, sorry not to be more of a help there. All right, I realize that that wasn't much of a help. We got about three minutes left. Um, Yeah, so I really like the passage um, um, Empress Kimberly brought up about creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And that would include Lucifer. Well, Satan, because Lucifer is not his name. That's a a mistake by the um, King James uh, Bible. So, uh, Justin True says, How do I uh, profoundly get to know the Holy Spirit? That's a good question, Justin True. Um. so the moment we're born again, the Holy Spirit moves inside of us and He leads us and guides us. Jesus said everyone who's born of the Spirit is like the wind that blows. So He's gentle in the way that He moves us in our lives. And I think the more we respond and listen to the Holy Spirit, the more we get to know it. But I also know that the Holy Spirit wrote the um don't have my Bible close by. But the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God, right? The Bible. And so He's inspired it. And the whole the Holy Spirit's gonna bring it to memory of those things. So we read the Word of God, we can get to know the Holy Spirit more. Sometimes we might get thinking more like, Do I just raise my hands and worship more? Do I sit and contemplate more? Which I don't think there's anything wrong with set and contemplating. The lost art of thinking. Um uh, uh, Albert Einstein used to sit and think. He'd just get in a chair and sit and think. I'm going to go think. And he, was thinking he, and he came up with some amazing things thinking. So contemplating, I don't know that it's a bad thing, but sometimes I think we get more mystical about a relationship with the Holy Spirit rather than looking for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. We want to hear, we want to have a voice to be able to hear it, to be able to hear the Holy Spirit. Um, but by reading His Word, obeying what the Scriptures say, we're gonna be getting to know the Holy Spirit more, more of what the Bible has to say. We're gonna learn more about the Holy Spirit. So, good question. Um, yeah. Um, let's see, um, how much will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I like this. We you know we were talking earlier about whether or not you pray to the Holy Spirit um, or you pray to the Father. And here Psychman brought up a verse. Luke 11, 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So again, here we have, rather than asking, Holy Spirit, I want know you in my life, here we're asking the Father to give the Holy Spirit. So, it seems to me that our prayers are to be directed towards God. And this is something we're working through as a community, and I like that. I like that we got an idea of something working through as a community. So let's continue to work on that. And if you find passages that talk about praying to the Holy Spirit or only to the Father, then let's bring them up in the future. Let's um, see what we can, um, if we can work on them. All right? Um, So, I'm going to take one more question. It's five o'clock, but I'm going to take one more here by, is it Henry? Uh, Question. Is it biblical to believe salvation is permanent? I was raised Baptist and this is what they always taught. Yeah, um, this is a good question to end on. I wish I had a little more time. I think the idea of once saved, always saved is something that we should not contemplate too much nor be too dogmatic about. <clears throat> Although, I will tell you, I lean towards that you once saved, always saved. There are so many promises of assurance in the Bible, but there are also some other passages that challenge that. And so... I, I, I find myself not wanting to be dogmatic. But, it, it, Henry, if, if and if that's the way, I, I, if you, I don't pronounce your name right, forgive me, please. But let's just say there's someone who walked with Christ. They'd gone to that church you, you grew up in, the Baptist church you grew up in. They walked with Christ. Um, and then they walked away. They became a complete heretic. Atheist, hating God. The Those at your church, the Baptist church, are going to say, he was never a Christian. Otherwise, he wouldn't have left us. He wouldn't have gone out from us if he wasn't part of us. Those who believe that you can lose your salvation are going to say, he lost his salvation. He was genuinely saved and he lost his salvation. Both are dealing with an unsaved guy. And this is why I say this argument doesn't matter. I would say evidence that we have generally walked with Christ is that we are going to stay with him. We want to do what he wants us to do. Those who endure to the end will be saved. And if you don't endure to the end, then that's maybe evidence you never were saved or maybe evidence you need to come back. So, the ways that this becomes used, I don't know if it's good. I think we walk with Christ. We have confidence and assurance. So I'm not always worried about, am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going We have assurance that that I'm walking with him. But if I walk away from him, maybe that's evidence that I never really was with him. Or that I did walk away because I started trusting in something else rather than in him. Alright, so thank you. Um, We can talk more about that in another one of our Q&A's. But we've come to the end of it now. I see we we still got some questions. So I will take a look back here um, at these. Um, I appreciate you guys. appreciate you being here. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, We have a service in about an hour. We're going to be looking at the seventh trumpet. It's so interesting because it's a period of time. It's not just the seventh trumpet sounds and this happens. That's what we've been seeing in the book of Revelation. The seals torn and this happens, the trumpet sounds and this happens, um, whether it's an event or a judgment. But now, the seventh trumpet sounds and it covers a period of time. And we'll be talking about that tonight, all right? So, again, appreciate you guys. We'll have a service in about an hour. Um, uh, we are we're calling it Final Judgment Begins. This is when God takes control back of the world again. Um, it has been out of his control. Satan has been the god of this world, but when the seventh trumpet is blasted, he takes control of it again. And I think Psalms 2 is being fulfilled when he takes control of the world again. All right? So, uh, stay close to Jesus. Love you guys. Uh, Serve him. Uh, Do what you can do to the people around you. Help those that are struggling. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of the Lord. You take care of widows and orphans. So look for opportunities to be able to help those out who are struggling, all right? So God bless you guys. We will see you later on.